Hey everyone, welcome to the eighth episode of Under Control. My name is Paul Bartlett and on today's show is Edward Schoen, the PR manager of ProtonMail from Switzerland. We will discuss how ProtonMail is supporting freedom of speech and how tech giants such as Facebook, Google, Amazon and Apple monopolise the digital space. Hi Ed, thanks for joining us on the show today. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and joining us and giving us some time. I know that we're both organisations that are advocates of privacy, right? So, and I hopefully we're going to have some really good uh, conversations today around that and enlighten some of our listeners about what it means for us, for each organisation and come to the conclusion on where the future of privacy is going to go. So I want to hand over to you to start with, give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself and um, what does ProtonMail do, what it stands for, you know, how was it created? Um, so the floor is yours. Hey, uh, well, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Um, so, uh, yes, my name's uh, Edward. I work for ProtonMail. I look after uh, PR and uh, communications over here. Mm-hmm. Um, ProtonMail, for those who don't know, um, it's a well, we're a company that was founded in 2014 by a team of guys who met at CERN at the um, mm-hmm. the of all former scientists, and we are primarily known as being an encrypted email provider. So end-to-end encryption, utterly secure. Uh, We can't read your emails and nobody nobody else Mm -hmm. can either. Around 2017, we launched ProtonVPN as well, um, and we've continued developing a suite of products since then. But as far as us as a company, we, as I said, was founded in 2014 by Andy Yen and his various colleagues at CERN in in light of the Edward Snowden revelations. Right. Um, they looked around and saw what was happening, saw these revelations about um, the way data was being collected and being co-opted and being abused, and thought, well, frankly, this isn't this isn't quite right, and mm-hmm. set about trying to th- or think about ways that they can help build an internet which is you know protects privacy, respects or, yeah, respects people's privacy, respects people's um, ownership of their own information is secure against cyber attacks and yet they started with email and frankly things seem to have gone from strength to strength ever since mm-hmm. um the a lot of the early um well i should i should say that the um company wouldn't have gone off the ground frankly if it wasn't for the immense support that it received from just people out there in the community there was obviously an appetite from uh people around the world for a service like proton and uh, hundreds of thousands of, of dollars was raised through crowdfunding in the space of just a few weeks to help get the project off the ground. Um, and ever since then, it's been an entirely sort of community-focused organization. We, we wouldn't exist without our users. And I think the fact that the company has continued to develop and, and grow and you know improve in the way it has over the years is entirely down to the fact that there is a bit of a change happening out there. I think it's the same thing that, mm-hmm. that you guys are seeing as well, and the reason why um, why you're growing in the same way, it's that there is a shift in the consciousness, I think, out there at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it really started to emerge, you know, five, six years ago, but is just gathering pace now, um, month on month, as people realize how their privacy and their data is being abused by both corporations and by governments around the world, be that for commercial uh, surveillance or, you know, or espionage capitalism, yeah. or, um, or if it's, you know, being misused by governments for, for their own purposes. It's, mm-hmm. There is a, a, a awareness of the need for services uh, that prioritise privacy, and that's mm-hmm. what we're here to do. Fantastic. And, and your role as a PR manager, of course, you, you mentioned that you've been with the company. Was it four four years? Did you say? Or? Um, 
Oh, no, sorry. The company's been around four years. I've only actually been with the company right. for... Actually, actually what's, what's the date today? I Actually, today is my one-year anniversary of Proton. Oh, okay. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank Good you. to have you on the one-year show. Um, exactly. so, <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so your role basically is obviously to oversee all the media and communications, and, and, and you're obviously doing that with Proton Mail, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So I, I was previously actually... It, it's quite a um it's been quite a great journey for me actually i was previously working mostly mm -hmm. in a corporate environment so i've okay. worked for a number of different companies back in the uk um i moved over to switzerland for personal reasons but was looking for something a bit different i've been sort of mm -hmm. you know um working for the man as it were for for quite a while and just looking for a role where i felt like i could sort of make a bit of a difference mm -hmm. and you know thankfully found found proton it's it's honestly it's quite nice to be working for an organization where you actually feel like you're doing something good in the world you know yeah yeah i can understand now i'm totally aligned with that as well um so i've got the question coming one of the things that uh, proton mail stands for is obviously privacy but also freedom of speech right so there's a lot of that going on at the world at the moment of talk of uh, freedom of speech being suppressed in certain countries and, and certain places around the world. So what is it that you do to support freedom of speech and democracy? Well, I think a good place to start is to sort of take a step back slightly. Mm -hmm. um, I think there, if you go back to sort of the birth of the internet, there was right. a feeling that um, this new sort of utterly egalitarian uh, platform, world, sphere, whatever you want to use, word you want to use, was going to create this amazing opportunity for the free flow of information, free flow of communication. Anyone could access any information or talk to anybody. It was going to sort of democratize information. And by extension, there was grand hopes of democratizing democracy. You know, it's letting people um, have a greater say in their own lives and understand the world around them. But at the same time, whilst it gave people the tools to communicate, it also gave authoritarian regimes the the tools to clamp down on the same thing mm -hmm. if people become too reliant on you know the internet to communicate then it becomes in many ways easier to intercept that communication so what are the what yeah what are the great things about you know, encrypted email and by extension but uh, vpn is the fact that we can allow people to communicate privately mm -hmm. um you know, because we use end-to-end -end encryption, um, it's only the sender and the receiver can access what's actually in people's emails or their, their attachments. Even we can't gain access to mm -hmm. what people are saying. So people can, uh, our users can safely and confidently communicate without the fear mm -hmm. of, you know, um, a regime, whoever that might be, intercepting their communications. Similarly with VPN, and we've seen, uh, you mentioned, uh, well, we've seen um, this happening an awful lot in various parts of the world. Um, as governments have become more sophisticated in the way that they uh, monitor people's activity online, that way they collect information about people, we've seen a greater need for people to use VPNs to protect their, their privacy. And you hear you know, there's sometimes a, a misconception that you know, people are using VPNs because they have something to hide. Mm. But it's in many, many parts of the world. That's not the case in the slightest. People are using VPNs because, not because they have something to hide, it's because people are trying to take something from them. And that what they're trying to take is information about what they do, where they go, who they speak to, mm -hmm. what they're interested in, what they're searching for online, et cetera, et cetera. And so we really feel that there is a responsibility on companies like ourselves to help people just live in a, in a, in a in private manner and not 
have their every move mm-hmm. be uh, be monitored and watched. Frankly, yeah, and I, I I tend to align with that as well because the, the, the mission of of Trezor itself is very much aligned with what you're doing of giving people privacy and not allowing your documents to be seen or scanned or being even hand over, handed over with a subpoena, for example, like a backdoor mm. capability into getting access to those documents. So it's a touchy subject. I mean, there are some people out there that are pro and some that are not so pro towards it because, of course, there's where there is these capabilities and technologies, as we both understand, there is potentially also criminal activity. So there's always the good side and the bad side, right? So... It's true, but then again, yeah. you could say the same thing about locks on your house, couldn't you? Sure. I mean, there's, I, um, you could say, you know, if some, you haven't got something to hide, if you know you're doing something illegal, you're not doing anything illegal. Why should you lock mm-hmm. your front door? It's like, well, this is my house, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's fair. And I think what, when you mentioned about you know subpoenas and things, it's it's another interesting area that's mm-hmm. I think going to become more and more relevant as we go forward. I think actually, companies like Trezor and companies like Proton are actually quite important in this. I think after the revelations with Snowden in 2014 and the wiretaps and all that sort of stuff that came out about the NSA. Obviously, there was a huge public outcry against that and the, a lot of these programs were quite rightly dismantled. But um, instead, what we're seeing is, is a shift in that you know governments don't really need to wiretap their populace anymore mm-hmm. um, because people like Facebook and Google and um Yahoo and Twitter and all these giant tech companies, because they exist and are collecting data on people on a day-to-day basis, all it takes is a court order from any country to claim this data on their users. Um, and as long as people are using things like you know, Gmail or Google Drive, both mm-hmm. um, competing products that compete against ours, um, this information will be readily available. And we did some research about, we published it a couple of months ago, three months ago, something like that, um, looking at the number of requests that are coming from governments around the world to, I think it was just the big four, it was Facebook, Twitter, Yahoo, Google. Uh-huh. I think that was it. And it's it's mind-blowing. It's um, the last six yeah. years, 500% increase in data claimed by the US government from Google. Um, it's uh, uh, right across the board, if you look at all members of the 14 eyes community they're all the number of requests have just skyrocketed all of them mm-hmm. and it's because they don't need to wiretap anymore they just need to yeah you know borrow the data from companies that aren't looking after the users data collect it and merge it yeah yeah exactly exactly uh, yeah and, and to, to, to on that point as well you mentioned the, for the obviously the u.s government and, and we know some of the things that, that have happened in the past over there about the way that they collect data on on the populace Let's just reflect on on recent times when what's happened in China, for example, with Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, the fear that's coming out of there now. I mean, is it with the new with the law that, that's just been passed? Is there that fear as well? I mean, it's been known that the Chinese government is always monitoring and collecting information on the population. Um, what do you make of that? What's the the whole situation in in China and and Hong Kong? Well, it's. It's quite scary, really, isn't it? Mm. It's, um, it's. I, what do you make of it? It's quite a quite a broad question. I mean, mm-hmm. I had. Um, I probably can't name names right now no. because it's not publicly publicly. Um, it's not in the public sphere just yet. But I had the good fortune to sit down with with a an activist from Hong Kong quite recently, mm-hmm. um, just to discuss the situation and get to understand it better. And it, quite frankly, that it's the 
situation is really quite terrifying. They mm-hmm. are in Hong Kong in particular is in it's it's the forefront of a clash between you know, freedom of speech and democracy and authoritarianism. Is the situation is getting steadily eroded? The, sort of the rights and privileges of the people of Hong Kong getting steadily eroded, mm-hmm. and it's happening in two ways. That on the one on the one front, there's you know people and cameras out in the streets keeping an eye on who's waving flags and who's you know shouting slogans and things. And uh, on the other hand, there are armies of people and and highly sophisticated technology keeping an eye on what people are saying, who they're saying it to, what they're sharing, mm-hmm. what what websites they're accessing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and it's and this is the uh, Proton was one of the companies that saw a significant spike in in users um, right. the day after the new security laws were announced. I think over those two days we saw a three thousand percent increase in signups, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and yeah we uh, and you can't blame them. Frankly, you see, yeah. it's I think if I were sat in Hong Kong, if I were um, a, a Hong Konger, and I was looking at these laws coming in, and they're quite cleverly opaque. Yeah. Sorry, is that the right word? Um, in that you know, they can be interpreted in many different ways. They're quite mm-hmm. loosely worded. And if I was to look at those and then look at the way that the law has been implemented in mainland China, I'd be I'd be terrified. I think mm-hmm. it's I'd be scared for two reasons. I think number one being that you know they the government is there has been a track record. Sorry, I should I don't want to be too um, mm-hmm. inflammatory, but um, there is the potential um, for you know, freedom of speech to be eroded and the um, access to information to be pulled away. Um, if you look at the App Store in, in China, mm-hmm. for example, there's you know, 3,000 different apps that have been blocked by Apple, yeah. uh, presumably the behest of the Chinese government. Um, mm-hmm. The next worst is uh, the US, which is 1,000, and most countries have sort of two or 300. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, they get people, uh, there's legitimate reasons for blocking apps. You know, you're not going to let a sort of an ISIS recruiting app appear on the app mm-hmm. store. But you know, 3,000, like CNN, for example, mm-hmm. even, even Fox, CNN and Fox and BBC and all of them, they're, they're all gone. Um, but so anyway, go back to your original point, I think it's, it seems like a it's a scary situation, mm-hmm. um, and I suppose going back to what I said previously about the opportunities that the internet offers, um, there is no greater tool for the subjugation of a people if if not properly used. And I think there is a responsibility of all tech companies in the area um, in Hong Kong to sort of stand up and and stand by the rights of the people of Hong Kong. I think it's what mm-hmm. we've done. It's what a number of other companies have done. But you know, for the time being, unless people stick around and mm-hmm. and offer tools to the people of Hong Kong to protect their privacy, protect their freedom of speech, then the erosion of these rights will just happen faster and faster. Mm-hmm. So just moving away from that, I wanted to come into the uh, the point of um, what's the, you mentioned Amazon and Apple earlier on, and, uh, and I think Google of course they've got a lot of free services and that's the that, that that's the attraction right so the you can get a free gmail account you get a certain amount of storage what's the issue from your perspective about these free services i mean a lot of people out there they go for features and functionality more so over security and it kind of mm. draws people in um and i'll give you an example for my we've got an xbox at home and the other day the privacy notice popped up and i took the time to read through it and 
literally it I was in shock about the amount of access, the information I'm going to be sharing potentially through that Xbox or my son even through that Xbox um, with with them and what they can do with that information. So is this the problem? Is this the crux of the problem with with free services that you basically, you don't really have an an opt-in or an opt-out clause? Because what I was reading, it was... More or less, you want to carry on using this Xbox, and you're gonna you're gonna to have to opt into these these terms and conditions. Well, I think that's uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Really, it's a it's a lack of choice, and um, mm-hmm. and I, like you say, and to be fair to the likes of Google and everyone else, mm-hmm. I mean their products are great. I mean, yeah. I I signed up for Gmail like what 10, 15 years ago, whenever yeah. it uh, came out, and it's really easy and simple. And it looks great, and blah blah blah, and yeah, fair play, but. There's, I can't remember who, was it, who says it, but who said it originally, but there's that phrase, you know, uh, if you're not paying for a product, you are the product. And at the end of the day with Facebook and Google and uh, these free to use services, the only reason that they're able to give you these lovely, pretty um, mm-hmm. user-friendly products for free is because they're making their money elsewhere and mm-hmm. they're making their money out of you. You are the product. Uh, if you're, I suppose, in many cases, if you, um, I don't know, you buy a phone and you pay a service for that phone every month and you think yourself, you use it and you are the customer of yeah. that, of, you know, I'm with Sunrise, the phone people. Uh, I'm a customer of Sunrise. I pay them a, a, a fee each month and I receive a service. Um, and so in the same way, you sort of think of yourself as a customer of Google or a customer of Facebook when you have an account, but you're not. The, their customers are advertisers. Um, and the only reason, uh, this, this has been said a million times, I don't think it's really news to anyone, but yeah. they, the reason why Facebook um, and Google and these free-to-use platforms continue to make vast sums of money is because they have created the ultimate data resource for advertisers. It's mm-hmm. uh, to be fair, it's, it's a genius business model. It mm-hmm. really is. Um, I was like a piece of research I was playing around with the other day, which really fascinated me, where if you look at the... Uh, advertising revenue per Facebook over the last, I think it was five years, and then look at the user numbers. The increase in revenue is two, three times faster than the increase in in, um, in user numbers. And if you were to think of Facebook as an, as, as an advertising company, which it essentially is, mm-hmm. if you compare it to a billboard company, for example, you would have thought that you know the more billboards you a company has the more adverts they can place, thus the more money they can generate. But Facebook haven't been getting more billboards, uh, the user being the billboard. They've just been getting more creative in the way that they use this data to find more ways of advertising in more different venues outside of their own platform. You know, it's, um, but they get this, and this is the problem, is that mm-hmm. it may seem like an innocuous thing. You know, I don't mind them knowing that I like the White Stripes and English rugby and yeah. therefore can target white stripe CDs and rugby tickets at me. Um, that might seem like a no-brainer. I don't really care. I could use a free service and you know I'll just ignore the ads. But we've seen in the last few years how what might, might have started as just some slightly clever pop-up ads has developed into full-blown manipulation. You know, it's, yeah. We've seen it happen politically. We've seen it happen with... You know, convincing people that they want to buy products that they've never even heard of or don't care about or never normally do. It's um, once you have enough data on somebody, you can get them to do pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. And that's the scary thing from my perspective. It's yeah. So uh, you asked what the problem is with free services. It's, you know, 
a little bit of data might not sound like a terrible thing, but I've been using Gmail or I've had a Gmail account for 15 Mm -hmm. years. I only really use it as my burner account now. I just, you know, if I have to get cinema tickets, then they go, the promotions get sent to my Gmail account and I ignore it. Um, (laughs) But 15 years worth of data, if I was using it day in, day out, that's incredible, isn't it? Mm. (laughs) It's, it's, it's vast amount of information. So yeah, I guess that's the problem. And yeah. that is what we and yourselves are trying to change. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, it took me a while to realise, and I'm on Instagram like a lot of other people as well, not on Facebook, but one day I just saw these ads popping up and I thought, I've just had a conversation about that, but I never looked for it. I never searched for it. And I was taken back by the fact that this, yeah, when I accepted the terms and conditions, did it say that it could listen to my, you know, like basically put on the recorder or the voice uh, yeah. speaker and, and then start listening to to my voice? Because nobody really checks the terms of service or the terms and conditions to which you use these applications. It's okay, it's cool, especially for young people. It's cool, let's download it, let's get it on the phone. And next minute, you've got a load of targeted ads about the things that you've been talking about. Um, which you never ever search for. Now, if you remember when you search for something, then you potentially would get a lot of targeted ads. Now, suddenly it goes one step further. And then could it go one step further even more when you put your location services on? It's like, where are you in in the area? And is something really relevant to you? So it's just mind-blowing. It's, like quite, say. it's quite amazing. I, I, actually, I'll tell you the one that scared me the most. And I still, I think it's got to be a combination of location data and voice recordings or something. But I think it was three years ago, I was visiting my brother in Bangkok. Um, on the day that my um, now wife and I were due to fly back, we went to one of those big street markets um, just because it was on the way to the airport and heard they were kind of fun. I wasn't going looking for anything in particular, hadn't Googled anything in particular. We just you know heard word of mouth. It was there, got a taxi, off we went. While we are there, I saw... I bought a sort of canvas bag thing, like a sort of hold all yeah. type uh, type thing. It wasn't branded. It wasn't. It wasn't even a fake brand. It wasn't even like an Adidas or something. It was. It was. It was nothing. Um, but I just thought it was kind of cool. Uh, bought it. Mm-hmm. Put it into my, my other bag because I was going straight to the airport. Um, got on the plane. We changed flights in either Abu Dhabi or Dubai. I can't remember which. Um, and had a sort of two hour layover. So I turned on my phone and. I saw a pop-up advert on Facebook for the exact same bag. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't Googled it. I paid with, I paid with cash. So I hadn't, it can't even be like transaction data. Uh-huh. Um, absolutely bizarre. And I don't know if yeah. like, they had known I was in the market and there were sort of three sellers of this bag in that market. Or I don't know. Yeah. Um, but absolutely bizarre. It scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, to that point, it's like it's, when you mentioned that, I just last night I was in IKEA, and they always ask you to put in your postcode, and then I started to become more and more suspicious about how that data is all coming together. I mean, it's coming from different sources, but if somebody wants to see my my purchasing behaviour, my my credit card going in for when I'm purchasing for mm-hmm. goods, my data location from different providers, just bringing all of that stuff together and building up a whole profile um, on this and. The, and I think for me now, it's starting to sink in. It's starting to really sink in about the information that you're sharing constantly, like you're constantly yeah. on. Um, and that's to the point with my son as well. He's constantly on. Um, and how much 
information they collect about him now and what's it going to be like for him in the future um, with collecting all of this information because he's born into technology. You know, mm. we, I was one of the ones that watched it evolve from from nothing to something and uh, with, along with the internet as well. But for him, he's just like, he's always been there. You know, technology's always been there. Online's always been there. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I was sort of thinking of myself as being unfortunate that I think Facebook came out when I was halfway through secondary school, something mm-hmm. like that. So I was sort of one of the early adopters. I've, I don't use it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I don't post on it, nothing like that. And yeah. I've sort of removed all, frankly, it was about a year ago, I sort of realised how much stuff is on there from mm-hmm. you know, posting statuses when you're 16 years old and stuff. It's yeah, like, it's ridiculous. But if you've had this, is it seven that people are allowed to sign up to Facebook or something like that? There's, there is an age limit. I can't remember what it is. Yeah. But if you're, you know, on be it Facebook or Instagram or or whatever, from the age of seven, by the time you're thirty, they'll they'll know everything about you, mm-hmm. absolutely everything. And you know, like you said at the very start, um, you don't if you want to, you know, be at the party, you haven't really got any choice. You can't yeah. say no to the data collection. You either mm-hmm. you know, you know, stay out in the cold and you know don't get on Instagram or. Mm-hmm. You uh, not that I suppose that's not the end of the world. There are worse punishments, <laughs> but um, it's yeah. You have you have no real choice. It's quite yeah. it's quite amazing. Yeah, um, and yeah, just moving on from that, I suppose what it is now is because we've got these monopolies, and they're difficult to break, like Facebook, and you've got your apples and your Amazons, of course, when you're shopping online. Mm. Um, I mean, is this is it time? Do you think there should be some kind of breakup of these monopolies now um, when you see these big giants in technology? I mean, is this something that really needs to be taken seriously? I mean, the EU's kind of attempted to address the problem or the issue of large tech. Yeah. But where does... I mean, yeah, so there's... Like you say, the EU's taken steps. Um, we're starting to see rumblings in in the US. You know, Congress are doing mm-hmm. the hearings. There's sort of rumours that the DOJ are going to make an announcement on Google any day now. Although it looks like it might actually be focused on a very specific part of Google's business, which kind of defeats the point. But anyway, um, but I think well, it's not for me to say should they be broken up. And mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily think actually that I I, 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 just, I, I don't know. I don't, mm-hmm. uh, it's not for me to say if they should be broken up, but I think there definitely is an argument for better regulation. I mean, yeah. um, the energy sector, the pharmaceuticals industry, legal profession, I, every um, industry or sector which touches everyone's lives is regulated to one degree or another. But, mm-hmm. you know, there is comparatively little for tech. Um and yeah, I think there is there is a there are things that could be done. I mean, we've been calling for things like um, regulation of the way that um, app store owners operate. So, primarily, mm-hmm. I suppose primarily we're talking about Apple and Google here. But if realistically, if you take just say the app store, um, Google, um, Apple side of it, um, they own two of the primary operating systems in the world, iOS and macOS. Mm-hmm. Basically, they control access to you know, half of the internet, really. They yeah. can dictate who, um, I'm, I'm exaggerating slightly and talking in, in pejorative terms, but they can dictate you know, who can be on the platform, what the apps can do, and they can, well, they can charge incredibly punitive fees, which can run smaller companies out of business. Um, 
the their own apps are on the same app stores as well so there's very little regulation over making sure that they treat them their own apps in the same way as other people's apps um mm-hmm. like i mentioned earlier on um there are cases of you know, app store owners censoring certain apps in certain parts of the world to maintain yeah. the market access to those parts of the world um so yeah i think it's there just has to be a, a long hard look at the way these companies are operating and making sure that actually is working right mm-hmm. for for users and like you say bring it back to the privacy point um at the moment both apple and google charge um well at the moment particularly apple sorry charges a 30 percent fee for transactions that go through um the app store through mm-hmm. sort of in-app purchases um if you're a, a google or a facebook who you know you have your apps in the app store but you don't rely on you know um financial transactions you make your money elsewhere then these sort of things aren't going to affect you the slightest if you're a company like ours um both our businesses mm-hmm. um where our revenue does come from subscription fees or whatever it might be then um, but we are doing that to make sure that we respect people's privacy we don't make our money off yeah. their data um then we're the ones that are, gonna, that are more detrimentally affected by things like app store fees yeah um the longer that these fees exist and they are and are applied uh, discriminately um the more it's going to maintain this status quo where you know the biggest companies abuse people's data and those who want to protect data struggle slightly um mm-hmm. it's yeah I, it's it's a big big issue that i think there's going to be quite a lot of soul searching in various corners of the world but i think before we find a, a concrete solution mm-hmm. um and also i think there's also an element of you know, people power these things as well. I think I think the st- there's almost like a chill of chicken and egg. Is, is the regulation going to change before people demand it, or are people go um, demanded and therefore the status quo changes, or are people going to sort of move with their feet and therefore mm-hmm. situation changes when it comes to the rules governing app stores and big tech and monopolies and all that sort of stuff? It's it's difficult to say, but uh, yeah, I think time will tell. Certainly, yeah. And I, I suppose when I was thinking about the breakup of these, uh, what I wanted to get to is, I mean, they're having such an influence on society, right? And uh, mm. um, and I think maybe breakup was the wrong word, but um, certainly with, like you say, a control or a mechanism, uh, like a regulation that says, you know, what's acceptable to do and what's not, because it seems like you can... You can do anything, right? With with this, you can post what you want, say what you want. This is freedom of speech, of course. Um, but I think there are also other things. Um, as we mentioned earlier, before we started this this podcast, around the social the social dilemma part, which is, of course, that's been around for a long time. But when I sort of see that 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 documentary, as it were, and I think about the amount of kind of ad manipulation that we were talking about earlier going on and how much how many people i mean i don't know how many on people are on youtube i think it's like nearly over a billion people or even more than that that's um, incredible isn't it <laughs> but yeah i mean this these algorithms are just working in the back and just studying each behavior and they're dropping these ads in and it's not just any old ad now like say um so i was just thinking more along the perspective of probably of like you say not breaking them up but having more regulation and control over them um, yeah, I agree. It's I don't think there's, there's a growing tendency to talk about this in terms of sort of money, mm-hmm. bad, um, 
you know, business bad, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's perfectly possible for, you know, a company to make money or a company to operate and be successful. And, and to be fair to, if you take Apple, for example, they got to the top because they produced a long series of very good products mm-hmm. and people wanted them and they worked. Yeah. Brilliant. Fair enough. I don't think there's really an issue with a company being successful. The issue is how responsibly they act once they are successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's unfair to say that if a company acts irresponsibly, then there is an onus on you know, regulators or whoever it might be to yeah to try and rectify mm-hmm. the situation in some way. Yeah. So do you think there'll ever be um, a situation for non-behavioral based ads? Um, so you're just doing for a keyword, keyword, key search rather than um, tracking people's behavior. Uh, because if you take it, YouTube, for example, they they drop the ads in. And if you want to, if you want to get rid of the ads, then you've got to pay for a premium now. Yeah, yeah. So you can pay. And this is what a lot of, all, this is what a lot of apps are building out is that, they track that your behavior, then they drop the ads in. And then if you want to get rid of it, you've got to pay for the privilege of getting rid of it. So mm-hmm. do you think we'll move towards a situation where maybe that becomes regulated? Well, possibly. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good question, actually. I haven't really thought about it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess it's an interesting point. I mean, when you say non-behavior-based ads, I assume you're sort of meaning it's not based on data regards, you know, previous activity, et cetera. It's just you know, a bit like a billboard. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, I mean, mean, or keyword search. I mean, it's just like what you search for rather than behavioral monitoring of of what you're doing and where you're going, as you just mentioned about your bag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, okay, yeah, so, I mean, it's a difficult one. I think it's it's quite a broad question, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the there is nothing wrong with the advertising industry, as it were. Well, that, actually, that's a very broad statement. I'll take that back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, the concept of advertising in general, I mean, companies have products and services and they're more than welcome to advertise them. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I guess the question is um, where the line is between advertising and manipulation. Yeah. And if a advert or a campaign or whatever it is, is based on, you know, harvesting data from as many different points as you can to find the best way of manipulating a person into buying that product, mm-hmm. then that's a bit creepy. That's not great. Yeah. Um, then again, though, at the same time, if people are fully educated and they know what they're doing and they're aware that they're using this service and it will be harvested, uh, the data will be harvested for advertising or whatever else, is it wrong to tell somebody that you can't use that service? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a good question, really. Um, yeah. It's, I guess the, the world we're trying to build is one where people just have control over their data. I think that's, yeah. that's the end. And I don't want to sound too much like, you know, um, <laughs> the, uh, the Brexit campaign, but, you know, take back control and everything. Yeah. But it's, um, I guess that's the key point. I think a lot of people feel like they no longer have control over their data and, and their data is online. Their data is their identity. They don't have control over themselves. Mm-hmm. And so using services like, like yours and ours, um, if people can use that to make a decision about who they share their data with, then I suppose that's okay. If you say to somebody, I don't mind you having this data and it's all above board and that's fine, then that's a slightly different question, isn't it? Um, but it's, I guess the problem is you know, with 
behavior-based ads as we're seeing them now, seeing them now is that oftentimes people don't realize what's going yeah. on. They realize that, that they, or they might think that, okay, um, they know from my Facebook likes that I like, you know, um, Kentucky Fried Chicken and mm-hmm. um, Barbie dolls or whatever. Um, who knows? But they don't realize that that's actually been cross-referenced against billions of Google searches and YouTube searches and time spent mm-hmm. on individual videos and um, how much time you lingered over that picture of that person you went to high school with and haven't seen yeah. in 15 years. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, it's at that point when people don't... Yeah, I guess that's the, that's the thing I have an issue with is where people don't know. That's yeah. the scary thing. Yeah, and I would go to one step further than that um, in, because, as I mentioned, my son's got this Xbox, um, even into the world of gaming. Um, so when they're lying on, they're playing games, they're purchasing in, in, in-game products. Um, and then these in-game products are being, again, advertised while he's watching YouTube. I've witnessed it myself, but they follow mm. these gaming channels. Um, and it seems now that this information is just coming out of one system and getting put into another. And then they've got everything that they can basically do their best or try their best to sell you or sell young people that that product and uh yeah that's that's been a bit where i can see that it's getting a bit scary for for, for me <laughs> also yeah. the genie slightly it's kind of out the bottle isn't it it's yeah. um they once these um data collection resources are built they sort of have a life of their own to a degree and mm-hmm. the sort of the the possibilities are, 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 are endless when you see interviews with i've forgotten his name now but the, the chap who was in charge of monetizing Facebook, who pushed forward the whole the ad space model. I, f- I completely forgot mm-hmm. his name now. Um, and you almost get the impression, like in the early days, it was, okay, cool. So uh, we could basically use Facebook as a search engine for targeting adverts. That's really cool. So we can find out you know, males between the age of 24 and 29 who live in English-speaking parts of the world. And, okay, here's your advert. And then mm-hmm. it just went a step further, and then a step further, and then a step further. And it's uh, as soon as you create an, e- an ecosystem where data is a free for all and it's not no longer the property of the of the of the, of the user, then these things will just continue to evolve. And you know, it's uh, one day it's mm-hmm. you know targeting adverts at you know adults shopping on Amazon who have credit cards and are are responsible. And next thing you know, it's like you're saying. Um, it, in-game adverts to children and mm-hmm. and a step even further than that when you know people realize that these platforms can be used for sort of mass political manipulation yeah. you have to look so look at 2018 and and 2016 and 2018 with the brexit and the u.s votes and trinidad and tobago before that and, yeah um and on a day-to-day basis i was reading a, a thing the other day and I'm, I'm going to delve into the world of conspiracy theories now. And please forgive, <laughs> please forgive me. Um, there, curious, some, I'm curious. Tell me exactly. <laughs> there was this, it was a really funny thing I read, which said that there was a vast amount of suspected Russian bots on Twitter, who, rather than talking about you know build a wall or take back control or whatever it was, mm-hmm. were talking about vaccines. This is pre-COVID. Um, and we're talking about, you know, vaccines give you this, that, and the other, and don't vaccinate your kids, et cetera, et cetera, which, um, you know, most people would consider, um, you know, conspiracy nonsense. Um, not, you know, not cast aspersions of people mm-hmm. who have these, have these beliefs, but that is still the general opinion. Um, but 
there's apparently a huge number of these bots who are talking about this, which riles people up and you think, why on earth are, the, are supposedly Russian bots on Twitter get people to talk about this? It was about a week after I read that article that um, there were um, evidence hearings in Congress in, in Washington about vaccines, mm-hmm. something which has been you know, scientifically accepted around the world for 60, 80 years, however long it is. And instead of spending time talking about, you know, suspected allegations from the election or hacks of the DNC or whatever else, members of Congress were having to spend their time placating public demand for conversations about vaccines. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they're able to do that is because they these you know, platforms with uh, where these platforms exist, it's quite it's really quite amazing, isn't it? It's yeah. you, no one ever suspected that you know Facebook would or Twitter would turn into these things which can shift the mood of entire nations. Nations, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's stunning. It really is. Mm-hmm. So I think Ed, we're coming up towards the, like the last ten minutes or so uh, yeah. of the podcast. Sorry, I've been, and I've, no, I've it's great. This, this is <laughs> the, it, it's a cup of tea time, and it's time to waffle, and that's what you would do if you were down the pub or just around the kitchen having a cup of tea, um, and. Like I say, I'm sure there's some golden nuggets that people can take away here. Um, so where, so let's just think about the future now and the direction like what we're going in. Big advocates of uh, of data protection, and we're glad to see things like GDPR coming in, end to end encryptions being more endorsed, not just for the individuals but organisations as well. Where's the direction Proton Mail's going in? I mean, guys, I know you guys are following the same way. Is there anything? that you know, the big advocates of that you want to see uh, being changed in the future. What's the perspective from, from Proton Mail? That's, uh... So I guess our, the direction we're going, um, I think we're just trying to build, we're building a, you know, a selection of products which mm-hmm. hopefully can help a person um, take back control of their entire digital lives. This yeah. is a long running process, not finished for a while, but that's the direction we're going in. As far as the... What we think the future holds it's it's almost like a it's it's almost like, and i don't know it feels like mm-hmm. the momentum is building behind encryption behind privacy if you were to go back um five years or maybe or actually less than that you'd hear you know people talking about um how encryption's bad it protects crime it does this mm-hmm. that it's like the other, but people are realizing actually if it wasn't for end-to-end encryption then the global economy would collapse because everyone's personal yeah financial information would be everywhere. Um, beyond that, I think there seems like there's a growing momentum and awareness of how data is used, how you can take mm-hmm. control of it. Services like, like I, the two of us, um, it, it seems that like there is a public awareness building and, and um, people are starting to make the switch. But, you know, I, and I would, you know, I'm going to, put my money out there slightly, I'd hazard a bet that, you know, the world in five years' time will be a more private place because I think that is the way public opinion is going. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, it, it all depends on public opinion and people moving with their feet. I think mm-hmm. as long as there is a market for the established players at the moment, as long as people continue mm-hmm. to use them in the way they have done in the past, then they also could be able to continue operating the way they are. And um, by extension, governments will be able to continue acting the way they are as well. But if people start, you know, reassessing their uh, life online, if they start thinking about, you know, we see a lot of people who use us um, 
for the important stuff in their life. You know, they'll use mm-hmm. us for legal documents and banking information and, and that sort of stuff and have sort of have a, mm-hmm. a burner email address elsewhere. Um, we just all step in in the direction we're going. And if, you know, the world continues going that way and people's behavior continues going that way, then yeah, I could see the world being a more private place. But it's mm-hmm. it all depends on you, as it were. It depends on yeah. what people do. Like the, the fact is we live in a market world and if the markets shift and then if, if consumers shift then the markets will shift too. Um, but that's just the way it needs, well, that time will tell. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the Zuckerberg and people like that are talking a lot more about privacy. I think yeah. that's quite a telling thing. He said, what was it? Six, seven years ago, privacy's dead or the private <laughs> life is dead or something like that. And now last year he's saying, you know, Facebook knows it's done badly and <laughs> we'll, uh, uh, we are creating a new private world for you with respect to your privacy, et cetera. So yeah. I think if the big players are shifting their tone, then that's quite mm-hmm. a telling thing. They're not idiots. They can, they can see mm-hmm. when markets are shifting, but yeah, time will tell. Yeah. Know, what do you think? What do you think? Well, I, I mean, I, I would like to say, I'd like to follow the idea that there's a growing trend towards adopting privacy tools and people taking that into their own hands. Um, but again, you know, with these big, big companies and the way that this manipulation started. I'll give you one example is that now, of course, because of the ruling and um, and with cookies and things like that, every web page that you visit, you, you accept the cookies for the tracking or you don't accept the cookies for the tracking. And then mm-hmm. the, some companies will present a plethora of options which the consumer or the user will get confused with and then will just accept it anyway. And I think we've yeah. got used to convenience and speed a lot over really wanting to read through the details about what's being tracked and i still think there's that element out there um there's a lack of transparency and uh and uh i think it's going to be a long time before companies that companies that set up on data are going to be able to change that business model but yeah, I see things starting to turn i see more companies coming to treasure it for example and taking especially organizations that, that are dealing with personal identifiable information, uh, taking more uh, consideration about how they deal with it, how they manage it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough question, but um, you know, I'd like to think that there is going to be some moral responsibility or, or, or on being able to um, restrict the amount of data that, companies or third parties get access to in the future yeah i think it's actually the budget tactics you talk about you talked about are, are a very important point i think mm-hmm. we can't underestimate the staying power of established businesses and once there is a mm-hmm. is that is for any any industry this isn't just a tech thing but once somebody has established themselves yeah they will fight tooth and nail to stay where they are you can't that's you know that's human nature mm-hmm. um so yeah, I can't, don't think we can underestimate how it's not going to, going to be an easy shift and there are lots of tactics out there for keeping people in the ecosystem, as it were. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe I'm just a, maybe I'm, I'm a, a naive optimist. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but uh, I mean, this is, the, this is the whole reason for the podcast and that we're doing and we, you know, just to bring, bring awareness, of course, getting the word out there about there are other options because a lot of people that come to us, they didn't even know that we existed. They didn't even know that, that, that we've got, for example, zero knowledge and end-to-end encryption. And I think what's happened um, that 
it was the ability to be able to make efficiencies and convenience at the very forefront of marketing efforts by large organizations and left the security aspect way behind. Um, and mm. now that part of things is starting to catch up. And I think just because of the GDPR as one thing, it's starting to starting to sink into people now with, with some regulation about the way that data should be respected and treated, especially for individuals. And what yeah. I also see as well is that I think more nations will start adopting their own privacy rules as well as we go forward. I'm starting to see this trend already in South America. We know that Colombia and Brazil are trying to put something together similarly based on GDPR. We'll probably see a few mm -hmm. other countries follow suit around that as well, um, bringing in their own data protection laws. So um, that could obviously present itself as another aspect of being a minefield for companies to manage or and deal with. But uh, <laughs> at least it's in it seems to it seems to be coming to the forefront now, which is good. Yeah, I think it's I think the the regulation point and the way the laws are changing is a really interesting area. I think there's going to be an element of so trial and error over the next few years. I mean, mm -hmm. GDPR, for example, uh, is a great step forward, but you know has its faults. But you know over time, these things get improved and people see the bugs and it's the same way with software people spot the bugs and they and they fix them um i think you know the question of how data should be used or controlled or how privacy should be regulated i don't think it's going to be fixed overnight i think mm -hmm. there'll be an element of trial and error and there'll be a mixture of companies coming forward with uh different and innovative products and uh regulators properly managing the industries and understanding the impact that this free exchange of data can have. Um, but yeah, I think we'll just have to wait and see and, and mm -hmm. you know, hopefully the public comes with us. Yeah. So I hope that they will be on board with us. So Edward, <laughs> thanks a lot for, for coming on today. I really appreciate you, you joining us and um, at least, you know, we know we're, we as both organizations are there for the most important aspect, which is the customer and the customer's privacy. And uh, that's what we're both standing for. So it was great to to have you on the show and, and be aligned on the same values. Absolutely. No, pleasure. Great. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank, thank you for having me. No problem. You have a good day now, Edward. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. And that's it for today's episode of Under Control. You can find links to all of our social platforms and to our guests in the episode description. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Join us in two weeks' time for the next episode.